The following program is created for informational purposes only and does not constitute as medical advice. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host. If you think you may have a medical emergency, consult your doctor. This is where the healing begins. This is Maximize Your Life with Dr. Leanne of Greenwood Family Chiropractic, where it's not only about neck and back pain, but a place for whole body wellness. Listen this hour as Dr. Leanne is here to share her wellness education to help you live a maximized life. For more information, visit GreenwoodFamilyChiropractic.com. Here's Dr. Leanne. Good morning. Thanks for joining. You're listening to Maximize Your Life. I'm Dr. Leanne Schluter. Greenwood Family Chiropractic, 317-893-2853, 317-893-2853, or you can schedule an appointment online. GreenwoodFamilyChiropractic.com, GreenwoodFamilyChiropractic.com to schedule your initial exam and consultation. Today we're talking about gluten. It has been a buzzword throughout like anything health-related for the last several years now. So we're going to talk a little bit about gluten. And people are like, oh, yeah, I'm gluten-free. but Or like I don't, I don't have a sensitivity to gluten. So we're going to break down gluten. But more specifically, we're going to talk about zonulin. Zonulin is an aspect when we talk about gluten that I feel as if most people are unaware of. And so we're going to dive down deeper. If you feel like maybe this isn't going to be applicable to you because you don't have a gluten sensitivity, what you will want to know is about your body and how, like, what is zonulin? Um, why your body produces it? What high zonulin means? Um, dysbiosis of the gut? Problems with gluten-free diets? Just we're going to break it all down today. But before we do that, Let's talk about some news. Dr. Leanne's Health News. Some studies suggest that too much sugar can literally mess with the brain. Health News now, one of the world's most commonly prescribed medications. Maybe Today, the average American consumes 22 teaspoons of sugar Protesters a day. Protesters say they just should not be forced to get this shot, not by the government. Today's Health in the News. Acetaminophen during pregnancy may be linked to attention and sleep problems in younger children, says a new study. So the new study suggests a connection between pregnant women's use of acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol, and young children's behavioral issues. So they say taking the medication acetaminophen, also known under the brand name of Tylenol, during pregnancy may be associated with child behavioral issues at three years old. That's according to a new study that was published in PLOS Medicine. Acetaminophen is commonly used during pregnancy to treat a variety of ailments, but evidence is emerging that shows acetaminophen may be associated with developmental concerns among children, said lead author Kristen, oof, uh, her name has N's and J's and D's, and Z's. Mm. She was the assistant professor of public health sciences 
at Penn State College of Medicine. Listen, I adopted the last name of Schluter. I know that it's hard to pronounce. That I can't even. I, I can't even. So she says, our research found that acetaminophen use during pregnancy increased the risk for attention and sleep problems among young adults by more than 20%. Here are more details. So they talk about what is acetaminophen. Acetaminophen is often taken as an over-the-counter medication for pain, fever, according to the FDA. It's also a prescription medication. The FDA notes that acetaminophen is found in hundreds of medicines, including those used for colds, flus, allergies, sleep. Approximately 65 to 70% of pregnant women have reported using the pain medication during pregnancy. Although acetaminophen has been shown to cross the placental barrier and therefore may directly impact fetal development, the mechanisms of action for the effect of acetaminophen on fetuses are unknown. Like as a mother, right, a mom who's been pregnant, carried, they tell you like Tylenol, yeah, you're safe to take Tylenol. And I don't feel as if when they say, hey, I have sciatic pain, right? And they say, oh, that's totally normal with pregnancy. Just take a Tylenol. And you're like, if someone was, no, I didn't have sciatic pain because I was adjusted my entire pregnancies. But if someone was to say, hi, I'm going to tell you to take this. But by the way, it crosses the placental barrier and directly impacts fetal development. But we don't really know what it does on it. It's like totally unknown. But we're pretty sure it's safe, right? And I just always think about what you can see. They know that certain medications cross the placental barrier and they cause deformities and defects. It's a very visual, right? If you're missing a limb, right? the medication that they gave to pregnant moms for their nausea back in the 80s, you could see that babies were missing arms and legs. So we knew that that was bad. I feel as if the problem with acetaminophen is that because there's not a visual deformity, it can have impacts on the brain, but you don't, you don't visually see it. Ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, one nose. We're like, this is good. This is good. It's not that big of a problem. Um, so they go back and say the researchers from Penn State reviewed the data from the first baby study, which is a prospective study designed to examine the impact of a mother's mode of delivery on bearing children by following more than 3,000 women who delivered babies from 2009 to 2011 in multiple hospitals in Pennsylvania. For this study, the researchers studied about 2,500 mother-child pairs in which women completed a prenatal stress inventory and reported their medication use during their third trimester. The participants were asked what prescription and non-prescription medication other than vitamins they took occasionally during pregnancy. When their child turned three years old, they completed the child behavior checklist, which, quote, has been widely used in studies of neurodevelopmental and behavioral outcomes in young children. The women completed the 99-item questionnaire that asked them to rate their child using a three-point scale on varieties of behavior, restlessness, avoiding eye contact, not wanting to sleep alone. The mothers were interviewed at a baseline to evaluate for depression and the level of stress during pregnancy. The results of this study found that approximately 42% of participants reported using acetaminophen during pregnancy, with a third of the women going through labor with induction, 29% C-section. 
The women who used acetaminophen were also more likely to have consumed alcohol during pregnancy, has private insurance, and to be non-Hispanic white. It's interesting. These women, I don't know what that point would have to do with the study, but... um, these women were more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety and depression before their pregnancy and were more likely to report high levels of stress during pregnancy. They were also likely to have ingested other non-prescription drugs in addition to acetaminophen compared to women who did not take acetaminophen. Kind of makes sense. Um, when the study analyzed the data without controlling for confounding variables, it found acetaminophen use was associated with higher scores in three areas, children who are withdrawn, who have sleep problems, and have more attention problems. Um, so obviously study limitations, they always say we need more, listen to your doctor, um, Basically, the study concludes its findings in association between acetaminophen, the use of Tylenol, and child behavior problems at the age of three years old. And so this is one where, (laughs) I mean, we see so many families in the office, and that includes pregnant women. The safety and efficacy of chiropractic is immense. If someone tells you it's normal to have sciatic pain in pregnancy, run. It's not normal. Having pressure and damage on a nor- nerve is not normal. It's common, right? Often, lots of people might suffer from sciatic pain or have headaches or they say, why is it and why is it that not all women have sciatic pain? Why is it that not all women have numb hands during pregnancy? Oh, it's just a part, normal part of pregnancy. Common, not normal. It's different. What we've done and allowed is for us to normalize that. Heaven forbid a pregnant woman gets adjusted, but absolutely acetaminophen is 100% safe. And you're like, how? Because they don't know the effects on any of the internal, non-visual things when that baby comes out. And so we have these struggles and it's looking at, well, what if we had more of a natural approach that we could take for the reasons why we were taking acetaminophen? You know, what if what if we took a different viewpoint? Because then when they have problems sleeping, they're like, oh, yeah, well, just here's a pill for that. Hey, there's pro- problems concentrating. Here's a deri- here's a, an amphetamine, right? Not methamphetamine, just an amphetamine. It's a derivative of meth. Basically, your child's heart might blow up, have heart problems for the rest of his life, taking that Ritalin or ADD or ADHD medication. But heaven forbid someone sees a chiropractor, right? Like it's just one and you're like the safety and efficacy. And for those MDs who are listening right now and have referred me dozens of patients over the last several years, I thank you. I thank you for realizing you have the ability to be able to refer to other practitioners that take great care of your patients and know that we're on the same page in terms of congruency and quality of care. Medicine has a time and a place. We had a, a patient more recently, and his doctor had sent him into the office and said, all I can give you are pills, and there's not a pill for this. And so to be able to have that congruency and know that healthcare providers can refer to one another, I'll never forget one of the most valuable, he posed it as a question, but it was really a statement, that a patient had asked me when he was experiencing pain. And he said, do you know why I chose to come to you instead of my medical doctor first? And I said, yes, I would love to know that. I think that's actually very valuable information. And he said, I knew you would be more likely to send me to my medical doctor than my medical doctor would be to send me to you. And I was like, that's very true. 
you know, there are times where we're like, oh, hey, that's a red flag. Like, we're going to get an MRI. Hey, this sounds like it might be a little bit more underlying. We need to, I just referred a woman to her PCP more recently for some stuff we found on our x-rays. You know, so just aspects in that regard that there there is an ability to co-care between professions. And, you know, I'm grateful for medicine. It has its time and its place. But it's looking at something like this when we we just downplay the severity that might be because we don't know of something as simple as an over-the-counter during pregnancy. How many, how many, how many Tylenols did I take during pregnancy? One. One during my first pregnancy when I fell down the stairs. I thought I broke my ankle. What was it? One. One Tylenol out of three pregnancies. So here we are. A time and a place. So uh, long story short, stay away from over the counters and get adjusted. <laughs> now when we return, what about gluten? Have you ever heard of zonulin? We'll talk next. You're listening to Maximize Your Life with Dr. Leanne. We're online with life-changing results and success stories at GreenwoodFamilyChiropractic.com. You're listening to Maximize Your Life with Dr. Leanne. Hear full shows on the podcast link at Freedom95.us. Here's Dr. Leanne. Today we are talking about the hot topic of gluten. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Maximize Your Life. I'm Dr. Leanne Schluter, Greenwood Family Chiropractic, 317-893-2853, 317-893-2853, or schedule your appointment online, greenwoodfamilychiropractic.com, greenwoodfamilychiropractic.com to schedule your initial exam and consultation. So there has been a buzzword that is going around that I I now see on so many different things. So for example, I got some shampoo recently and they needed me to know that that shampoo was gluten-free. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just such this buzzword. And then, you know, different foods in the store, um, do now let's talk my family and I eat primarily gluten-free but there are so many foods <laughs> there's so many foods that aren't healthy okay I have to tell you a, a story um and we're gonna um how do I oh my gosh how am I gonna tell this story um so there's a there's a guy I I know known for a while and um he may or may not be married to me. Okay. Right. So let's leave it there. He doesn't listen to this, my shows anymore. Um, so there was, he, <laughs> he was still out stationed. Um, and we didn't live in the same state and, uh, he had ca- come in right to visit for the weekend before he moved here. And he was get this gentleman was getting out of the shower who may or may not be my husband got out of the shower and he like kind of looked down. He like patted his belly a little bit. He was like, man, I'm really, I really have to start to tighten up a little bit. 
<laughs> like he thought he's getting a, a little bit of a belly. And I was like, well, I mean, how have you been eating? Like what kind of great, cause we didn't live together at the time. I'm like, what kind of nutritional choices are you making? And he was like, well, I've been eating like gluten-free chicken nuggets and gluten-free pizza. And I was like, you know, just because it says gluten-free on it, it's not healthy, right? And he was like, how am I supposed to know all this stuff? <laughs> oh my God, you would die if I knew. I told that on the radio. Um, oh man. <laughs> so gluten, just because you're eating gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean you're eating healthy, right? And so, though, yes, in our family, we are primarily gluten-free. Um, you know, you have to really make proper choices. So first and foremost, before we break down talking about different proteins in gluten, like, for example, gliadins, it's when we have to break, like, what is gluten? <laughs> so gluten is the general name for the protein that's found in wheat. It can be in wheat, rye, barley, Gluten helps food maintain their shape. It acts as glue, holding it together. So the, there's kind of the big three big ones, wheat, barley, and rye. Wheat, I feel like, is the most common. Wheat is often in breads, baked goods, um, soups, pastas, cereals, sauces, salad dressings, roux. Barley. This is where you'll often find um, like malt, malt vinegar, malt extract, malt syrup, malt flavoring, malted milkshakes or candy, malted barley flour, food coloring, soups, beers, brewer's yeast. And then rye, rye bread, rye beer, rye beer, and cereal. So that's the most common. There also can be uh, cross-contamination with oats. Because oats is often grown right beside wheat and barley and rye. So not all oats are technically gluten-free. So um, when we're looking at why with this gluten, gluten is primarily, um, it it's found to bind things together. So as I always think about, uh, for example, you know, like Subway bread. We talk about bread. Bread's not bad. You know, a lot of the times patients in the office will say, you know, the Bible references like breaking bread. And I was like, yeah, but it wasn't like this like spongy yoga mat type of bread. Like this is one that like broke and it crumbled and it, it didn't have this gluten together. This is something that has changed throughout the history of wheat. And so when you look at the difference in wheat plants now versus you know, centuries ago, it's very different. The structure of our wheat, the way that it's grown, the overall texture. So again, this is why we use gluten. It's to hold things together. More specifically, most often food baking, which is when it's laughable when you're like, hi, your shampoo is gluten free. And you're like, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much. Now, <sighs> It's kind of this controversial topic, right? Like people will either say you absolutely don't need to worry about gluten unless you have celiacs, which celiacs is an autoimmune disease. It's probably the most severe form of gluten intolerance. 
patients who are truly celiacs um, affects about less than 1% of the population. So it's an autoimmune disorder that your body attacks gluten as well as the lining of the gut. It's pretty wicked. Most of the time, in order to get diagnosed, what they'll do is they'll look at something called anti-TTG, which is anti-tissue transglutamine ACE antibody levels. (laughs) It's a bit of a handful to say. So there actually is like a diagnosable, though that being said, it is um, oftentimes when all else has failed practitioners really start looking at celiac disease. Most common symptoms um, is digestive discomfort, tissue damage in the small intestines, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, headaches, tiredness, skin rashes, depression, unexplained weight loss, foul smelling feces. I have a friend who has true celiac disease. And they actually dove down deeper because of her anemia, which I thought was really interesting. Anemia and nutritional deficiencies that she had. And it was basically because her body wasn't able, because there was so much damage to the intestinal lining wall, her body wasn't able to absorb properly. And so this is oftentimes where when people finally get diagnosed with celiacs, they've, they've known about this for years if not decades beforehand but it's very interesting and I feel as if I I I do feel a little bit bad for individuals who have celiacs because I feel as if oftentimes people don't take it seriously you know if you were to say for example she we had gone out to eat and she had ordered a salad And they put like a piece of bread on the side of the plate. And she said, you know, and she let them know beforehand, I do have celiac disease. It is one that is a true allergy. It is not just a dietary preference. And when they came out, they had this piece of bread. And she said, I know what you're thinking that you'll probably do is bring it back, take the piece of bread off, and then just give me the same salad. But I truly need you to remake this salad. And they kind of looked at her funny because that's likely what they were going to do. But she said, imagine if I had a peanut allergy and you just put a handful of peanuts on the top of my salad. If you took those peanuts off, I could still have an allergic reaction because the peanuts were touching all of the other food. She said, do you see how when I say this is an allergy, I need you to accommodate the allergy. This is not a dietary preference. Where for me, I'm like, Kai, I just move it to the side, <laughs> you know? And this is oftentimes too where people will ask. Um, we had an advanced training a couple weeks back and I took the entire team out to Orlando and I asked for gluten-free toast. And they said, is this an allergy or a preference? And I said, it's just a preference. Right? Like I don't need special cookware. I don't need special new gloves. I don't need all of those extra accommodations. There are times that we eat gluten. Do I feel great? Absolutely not. Do we do it often? No, because I don't feel great. (laughs) It is very much more a preference than it is an allergy. I don't have celiacs, but I also am allowed to kind of avoid gluten, which is one where you see individuals who have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, 
so this is one where people have diarrhea, stomach pain, tiredness, bloating, depression. Very interestingly enough, your gut is your second brain. It's, so it's just one of those ones. But people kind of frown upon gluten-free. If you go to the store and say, or the, a restaurant, for example, you say, hey, I would like an omelet, but I don't want onions in it. Hey, I'd like a salad, but I don't want onions in it. And you're like, oh, okay, why? And you're like, because I don't like onions. And you're like, oh, all right, that's cool. If you're like, hey, I want to have this, but I want to have it gluten-free. And they're like, oh, you're on that bandwagon. But there actually is. And so in my opinion, I do think that the average person should avoid gluten. That being said, there is actually scientific reason why. And we'll talk about what that is next. You're listening to Maximize Your Life with Dr. Leanne. We're online with life-changing results and success stories at GreenwoodFamilyChiropractic.com. You're listening to Maximize Your Life with Dr. Leanne. Hear full shows on the podcast link at Freedom95.us. Here's Dr. Leanne. Welcome back. You're listening to Maximize Your Life. I'm Dr. Leanne Schluter, Greenwood Family Chiropractic. 317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-893-2853-317-
it's just the amount of pain that is induced when I do it. But you're like, well, I'm not in pain. So maybe I'm not sensitive to design, like to gluten. Now, this is one regardless if you are sensitive or not, if you um, if you feel bad after it or not, if you feel good after it or not. I do truly believe that the average person should stay away. And here's why. We talk about zonulin. So zonulin is a family of proteins that regulates tight junctions between intestinal cells. So imagine if you were to like interlock your fingers, you were to intertwine them. That's like tight gap junctions. Um, These proteins these tight junction proteins are necessary to maintain a strong gut barrier, right? Like holds it together. When these proteins are damaged, the barrier becomes weak, right? Which allows bigger spaces in between. So they're not tight gaps anymore. There's, there's larger gaps. And this is what, um, in terms of like leaky guts, you would talk about. So your gut lining actually releases zonulin in response to certain foods or microbes. So the release of zonulin reduces intestinal tight junction proteins and cause leaky gut syndrome. So basically those little tight gap junctions are are broken. One of the biggest triggers for zonulin is bacterial overgrowth gut and flora imbalance, like dysbiosis, and gluten. Um, Dysbiosis is number one. Gluten is one of the other most powerful stimulators. So what happens is that where you have these, um, I was actually talking to to my brother about this the other day, and he thought it was very interesting, so hopefully you do too. You can't see my interlocked fingers, but imagine your fingers are very tightly interlocked. And so uh, when you have this breakdown of food, those are the exact... Those are the exact um, width for nutrients to be absorbed through the intestinal lining. That's why your small intestines, they say, you could roll out your small intestines and it would cover tennis court. Okay, why? Because you need all of that length for the body to absorb nutrients. Though the problem that I often see is that when you break those tight gap junctions, it allows for larger particles or pieces of food to be through that intestinal barrier and go into the bloodstream. And our bodies are really, really smart. And so when it sees that, it says, oh, goodness, well, this isn't this isn't right. Like, this is foreign. And so they're like, well, go attack it. Go attack that foreign thing in there. And you're like, do you want to know what the definition of an allergy is? It's your body's immune response to a harmless chemical or substance, right? And so you're like, why is it that I have this allergy? Like someone in the office the other day was like, I'm allergic to tomatoes. I'm like, what? Why? What? So here's what I see is that you're like, oh my gosh, like I have a food allergy. Like I'm allergic to tomatoes. And you're like, okay, so take out the tomatoes. But the problem is, is that those gaps are still really large. And so what happens is you take out tomatoes and you're like, well, instead of tomatoes... I'll do potatoes, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden you pick your head up and you do some food allergy testing. And then, you know, a year later, you're like, well, now you're allergic to potatoes. And it's like, well, like, now I'm not doing 
tomatoes or potatoes. And then, right, you still have this problem with leaky gut. The tight, da- tight gap junctions aren't where they should be. And so then you're like, oh, I'm just going to replace it with this. And this is where people with, number one, why we often don't start with food allergy testing in the office. It's not my favorite. It really isn't. Because truly, I believe that food allergies are more symptoms, not the cause. So that's fine to get the test. We do the testing, right? Especially if people have more severe uh, eosinophilic responses, like an allergy response. So if if you take out those foods, but you don't get to the root cause of why food allergies are happening, this is where you continue to keep... The, people come into my office and they say, oh my gosh, like I'm trapped in this box. I literally can have um, lamb and uh, like potatoes and that's it. That's all I can eat. And I go, just wait a year. You're not going to be able to have that either because you're never getting down to the cause of why your body's attacking these foods, right? Like, why are you having this allergic response to these foods? What I see secondarily to that is that when we ignore it, our body goes, hey, I see some stuff in there, attack it. Hey, I see some stuff in there that's not supposed to be there. Attack it, attack it, attack it, attack it, attack it. And then what we then lead to is because your body is just on this, like anything I see, I attack, it starts attacking its own body. Like your immune system starts attacking its own body. And that, my friends, is what an autoimmune disease is. I see it so often. I had a patient um, years ago who sent me a picture. And this picture was of her body in like welts. She couldn't move. It was something I just never really seen before. It was very fascinating. And I was a, a bit of a loss, right? Again, medicine has a time and a place. They went in, they did quite a bit of testing, and they're like, hey, we, you have an autoimmune disease. And so the first thing she came back and, you know, because they're like, we're going to put you on this low dose of chemotherapy, methotrexate. By the way, we didn't say anything, but the side effect of low dose chemotherapy for the long term is cancer because we're shutting down your immune system because your immune system is a problem because your immune system is attacking it. So you'll probably be in a wheelchair in the next five years. Here's 10 different medications, all this stuff. And she was like, I don't. I don't foresee this as something I want to do. And so I had a patient who had the same autoimmune in the office. And I asked that patient, I said, I've never gone through this diagnosis. So I can only present from my side of things. But the fact that you are now in remission from RA, according to your rheumatologist, would you sit down? And they got coffee and they chatted. And both of them now aren't in a wheelchair. They have a quality of life. They're on zero medication and considered in remission from their medical doctors, their rheumatologist. And so you look at like, but why? And one of the first things I said is like, hey, we have to start looking at your gut. Like we have to start the healing process now. Because this is oftentimes one, and here's another really interesting one too, is that, um, so zonulin. So let's get back to, to zonulin. So what is um, zonulin? So we already talked about that. High zonulin um, oftentimes is associated with leaky gut more chronic inflammatory conditions, autoimmunity, MS, Crohn's, rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, ADHD, depression, mental health, instability, IBS. So, but here's the, cause you're like, how, how do I reduce it? And you're like, well, one, figure out, is there dysbiosis, Right. Dysbiosis triggers inflammation, zonulin release from the gut cells. 
what dysbiosis would be an imbalance of gut flora, right? Like a healthy microbiome in your intestines. What would cause that is if you've had previous infections in the intestine, uh, antibiotic use, high alcohol intake, inflammatory diet, low fiber diet. Now, let's also talk about the fact that just because you can put a scoop of quote unquote fiber <laughs> in a in a drink and drink it down and say, oh my gosh, I had a great bottle of it. That's not like a great source. That is not a great source of fiber. So just get, you know where you can get fiber? Um, food by God. <laughs> Do more food by God. Um, there is points in time where you're like, okay, but but that's your body, regardless of how you feel. If you feel good, if you don't feel good, gluten releases zonulin. Zonulin damages intestinal lining tight gap junctions. It is not a question of if this is happening to you. It is a question that this is happening to you. Especially with my kiddos, the um, gut lining typically like closes and heals most of the time by the time kids reach two years old. I am very very picky about what my younger kids eat. I mean, we're we're pretty straight forward for the most part. I think I've shared before my <laughs> oh, my uh, my oldest right now is in kindergarten, and so we're navigating school lunches, and we're doing eighty twenty. So four days a week we pack lunch, and one day a week he gets school lunch. And his school lunch is either he said, "Mom, I." It was pizza. He likes pizza. I thought it'd be good. It is not gluten-free. It is not healthy. Uh, but now I guess he's getting, he's like, Mom, I got I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I said, did you? He's like, yeah. And I was like, did it, did it, was it a circle and did it come in a purple bag? And he's like, Mom, how do you know? I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, chocolate milk, or they were out of strawberry milk, mom. So I had to have chocolate milk. Like, we don't eat that at our house at all, but it gives him balance. But at five, those are going to be things that we do and take more of a proactive approach than for like gut healing processes and protocols and things that we can do to help kind of restore that lining, knowing that, you know, at least some of that time, pizza or school lunch is doing that damage under two. Their little intestinal system is so, so um, underdeveloped still. And so those are ones where, you know, I have a, three kiddos. Uh, we've never been on an antibiotic. We do things to help restore. It doesn't mean we do things perfectly. But even so, we had some family members that were over um, and they gave my youngest gluten and she had a huge rash around her mouth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, all right, we've got to start doing some healing. So that is one that I would recommend staying away from gluten, regardless of how you feel, because regardless of how you feel, it is proven that in terms of like intestinal permeability, those tight junctions um, are, are a big deal. And that's one where with my patient who developed her autoimmune disease, the first thing I told her, and she was like, but I've never had a problem with gluten before. And it's like your body can only take so much for so long, right? It's like saying I smoked, I've smoked cigarettes my whole life and I've never gotten lung cancer. And a year later you get lung cancer and you're like, well, dang, you know what I mean? Like it, this was, this was growing and building the whole entire time, but you felt fine. We never judge health on you feel at our office at Greenwood Family Chiropractic. 
So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Maximize Your Life, I'm Dr. Leanne Schluter. So that's one where the other aspect is I would be very careful about gluten-free. Gluten-free doesn't mean healthy. And so I feel as if we've kind of slapped this gluten-free label on and we've tricked our brain into thinking that because it says gluten-free, it's healthy. I will say one of the things to really watch out for too is a lot of gluten-free foods are still heavily sprayed with glyphosate, with pesticides, which pesticides is an aspect that will disrupt your dysbiosis and your intestinal linings. So when we found that, the, here was a really interesting study. There's, I, I won't go into too much detail, but there was a study that was published in 2020 and it literally says, the um, it was published online, the study title is All Disease Begins in the Gut, Role of Zonulated, I'm Zonulin Mediated Gut Permeability and the Pathogenesis of Some Chronic Inflammatory Diseases. And so they're talking about thyroiditis, they're talking about um, lung-related issues, um, Sjogren's, scleroderma, SLE, autoimmune thyroiditis, all of these things that they're like linking back to zonulin. And now here's the problem with zonulin when we talk about it. It's not like there's, you're like, well, why don't we just test? So it was first discovered as a gut response to the bacteria Fibrio cholera. A zonulin test called enzymed link immunosorbent assay, also known as ELISA, was developed. So ELISA testing is a method where a tray is used that has a molecule in it that recognizes and sticks to the substance being tested. The trouble with the zonulin ELISA testing is that the original, quote, sticky molecule developed doesn't effectively measure zonulin. So basically, zonulin tests currently available don't really appear to actually measure zonulin. Um, they just measure something related to zonulin, like a precursor or another related molecule. So here's what I would do if you feel as if you have GI-related issues. Number one is for four weeks at least, eliminate all gluten from your diet and see how you feel. But it has to be... 100%, right? So you're looking at labels, sauces, dressings, stock, soup mixes, um, even different like vitamins or medication. And reintroduce it in a small amount. Don't do like the Chicago style pizza where you do all of it and you're going to have a bellyache. And see how you feel. And I will tell you for the most people have noticed that their brain fog clears up, that their IBS wasn't really IBS. It was more gluten related. So they're like, well, what do I eat? There's tons of, there's, there's tons of things. There are so many options, but you're like, look at fruits and vegetables, nuts and cheeses. Um, We have the kids in the house. We have a rule. They're like, mom, I want a snack, you know? fruit vegetable or organic string cheese or we have like a goat cheese in there fruit vegetable or cheese what's your choice and they'll choose sometimes they'll choose carrots sometimes they'll choose apples sometimes they'll choose the cheese just kind of depends if they've eaten all their dinner and they want a snack but it is one that gluten isn't necessarily one that um you might notice you have a problem with until you have 
other symptoms. The goal is not to wait until there is some sort of diagnosis to say, hey. The other one, too, is evaluate dysbiosis. It's one of the functional medicine tests that we have in the office that allows us to see if there's malabsorption, if there's dysbiosis, if there's Easter candida markers. There's aspect to look, and then there's a gut protocol in terms of um, remove, removing all the pathogens, uh, re-inoculating, and then restoring. So I think it goes, it's actually remove, restore, re-inoculate. But anyways, it's not important. Um, We go through all of that process if it is something that's related. For me, I've had to go through a couple different quarters of it because I was a sick kid. I was on tons of antibiotics growing up. Or now it has been, I don't think the last antibiotic I took was strep throat in chiropractic school. So like decade and a half ago, (laughs) you know? So it's just the aspect of being able to take care of our bodies, but having the knowledge to be able to do so. So... Those are my thoughts on gluten. Hopefully you learned a little bit about zonulin. Look forward to next week, but always remember that your power is on.